If you have listened to our previous episodes with Skip Lackey here on the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast, then you'll be as excited as I am to have him back here today. Today, he's going to be talking about what he's doing these days, the Life Quick Recovery Program and the Touchstone Model. And with no further ado, let's get going. This is going to be good. You are listening to the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast, a show devoted to uncovering the systems and the secrets that set the best apart, where you learn how to take your coaching clients to the next level, while you grow the coaching practice of your dreams. So sit back and relax, or sit up and get excited. Either way, you might want to pay attention. This could be important. All right, we are here once again with my good friend Skip Lackey. And today we're going to be learning more from Skip. This is part three of our interview. If you haven't listened to the other two, I would suggest you go back and do so. Not necessarily that it has to be chronological or anything, but just because they're so interesting. But today we're going to be talking about what Skip is doing these days. First um, interview was kind of like reminiscing about the old days and NLP and acting and Broadway and movies and things like that, him, not me. And then um, the second one was talking about the journey process. And now we're going to go into what he's doing these days, which I think if I remember correctly, Skip, you can correct me if I'm wrong, is called um, the Life Quake. Is that right? Quake Recovery Program, Uh working with something I've created called this Touchstone Model. All right. Yeah. Well, we we want to hear all about that. So, um, I'm just going to turn it over to you. What What is that and what's it for and how do you use it? And can anybody learn it? You know, um, so what this, where this came about was, um, you know, I, I've been very blessed. My 20s, my 30s, my 40s were all fantastic. They mm. were adventures, traveling, working in the, in the healing arts and doing, you know, traveling around teaching workshops. It was great in my 40s and then my 50s kind of hit. And if, right as I was about to turn 50, I was on a, uh, a trip to India, uh, a spiritual yatra through India for a month. A spiritual yacht trip? Yatra. Yatra. Oh, it's okay. A, <laughs> you go to a bunch of, it's a, not a yacht trip, a spiritual <laughs> yacht trip, a yatra <laughs> through India, going to all the holy places in India. And I had come back and I had just read a book called uh, the biology of belief mm-hmm. uh, by Bruce Lipton Bruce and Lipton, his sure. new book had just come out. Um, and I'm trying to remember what the name of it was that I was looking at that. I was, you know, how you're, if you, for those folks who've been to India or Asia, your, your time zone gets flipped. So I was like up in the middle of the night and I was reading this book. And one of the things it said was um, that, you know, life happens in like act one, act two, you know, the second act of life. And I, I thought to myself, well, I was in theater. We had three act plays mm-hmm. and sometimes there, you know, the older plays, there were four acts or so even five. Yeah. What happens if there's more acts to than just the two? So somehow I visualized this concept of Roman numerals of act one, uh-huh. you know, it looks yeah. like a one, but it's an I. Right. Yeah. It looks like a, a pillar maybe or something. Yeah. It looks like a pillar or a, a column, but it right. really, the one in Roman numerals is shaped like the eye. And then right. I started thinking, well, act one is when the identity, the id, the ego huh. gets formed, right? We see that. And then right. what happens if you put the two eyes together or what does that mean? And so I started to visualize this series of Roman numerals and what I realize is that life unfolds in all of these different acts. So over the last, say, probably 12 years, this model started unfolding more and more as I was working with my clients, where, as we all do, as we're working with people, we start to see uh, patterns that, that start to show up and specific issues that start to pop up. So my question was, after working with you know tens of thousands of people doing journey work and really working at trying to help people get to forgiveness is what was, you know, it's that, it's that old famous story where you say, 
you're sitting by the creek and, you know, there's somebody floating down the river and they're going, help me, help me. So you jump in, dive in and you swim over and you grab them and you come over and you give them, you know, you pump their chest and give them mouth to mouth and you, they resuscitate. And just about the time you're finishing that one, there's two people floating down the river and, oh my gosh, you jump in, you grab them, you, you know, do that. And then, you know, before you, you, you get them resuscitated and then there's three people floating down the river. Mm. It's that concept. You don't have time to go up and see that somebody is up the river on the bridge, throwing people over the bridge. Right. So you can <laughs> stop the sores. Right. I don't know, you know, with trauma and the type of work that we do with clients and helping them, you know, we're never going to get to the right to the root core of the source and stop it. But what we can do is teach people how to, you know, using the forgiveness skills, like we showed in the episode two, um, like I, to me, I use those skills and I still use all the journey skills that, that I was learning. It was teaching for, for, you know, over a decade uh, on just about every uh, process that I work with somebody. I just think some of those skills are, are priceless, especially yeah. the forgiveness skills, but how can we help people move along quicker? I started saying, how can I take people and it not have to be this long drawn out um, period of time before I can get them to see the issue? Because so often, and you know, this Doug is like, when they can cognitively understand what it is, then they surrender that much easier to the process of the clearing. So I started going back and looking and saying, okay, what are the things, what are some of the tools that I find most useful for me? You know, NLP and understanding visual auditory kinesthetic, the VAK aspect and understanding the brain um, and the whole fight or flight situation, understanding um, attachment theory around relationships, really the, the powerfully the Enneagram, um, uh, I don't know if you've talked about the Enneagram at all. We, we haven't talked about it on this um, podcast at all. It hasn't. Oh, really? Oh, wow. So or, tw or twice, but yeah, no, we haven't delved into it. Okay. So for me, the Enneagram is one of the best transformation tools because just for myself, because all of a sudden I started realizing, holy crap, I'm like a chapter in a book and my behaviors are laid out very specifically in it. And I'll be honest with you, it pissed me off when I first saw it Yeah, because I thought I was special and unique. And I was, I was this. Very, very, you, no, you, you are. Well, thank you, Doug. Thank yeah, you. No, You're so kind. You're so kind. Yeah. You hey, um, but for the folks that don't know what that is, could you just give a 50 cent version? <clears throat> description of sure. So the Enneagram is, is an old teaching. Some people say it goes back to the Iliad and the Odyssey um, that that was an Enneagram story, but it's this universal way of looking at behavior. Um, the, the concept was that, that the Catholic uh, monks years ago uh, had kind of gotten it, and then the Sufis took it. Carlos Castaneda brought it to the West. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, that Ichazo, uh, 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 um, uh, God, what, what was the guy's name? Castaneda helped. He didn't bring it. He was one of the people that helped kind of, uh, kind of uh, bring it out more to the public. Really? Yeah. I, I, <clears> anyway. I, I thought yeah. I knew it as a Sufi thing. And it's, and a lot of people think of it as like a, a personality typing thing that there are nine categories of personality. Right. There's nine categories. There's body points, emotion points, mind points, and there's three of each. And then you integrate and disintegrate to certain levels of behavior, healthy, average, unhealthy for each of these nine numbers. Um, and it's picked up a lot of popularity in the last maybe two or three years where a lot of people are now talking about it. Um, and what I find though is if I know what somebody's Enneagram point is, I can really speed up the process of helping them because I can go to their deepest fear. I can go to their, uh, their biggest pushback their the, you know, you use the opposite of how they're showing up and then you can deliver the information and help that healing process with them, help them along to really see that behavior. And when they see that it's hardwired in them and they, because it's like, why do I do what I do? 
right? That's the question. So why do I do this? Well, you're kind of hardwired to act and react like that. So if we can get you to understand mentally and then really clear the root core of where that came from so that you can be stop and be mindful of your your experiences, it makes all the difference in the world for somebody really surrendering to the process of the of the healing. And recently, because of my own personal experience of going through what I call life quakes, a series of life quake situations. Sorry about that. And that's okay. And when I say life quakes, um, I, had, I read a book not too long ago that said that we have three to five major life quakes during our lifetime that will last up to four to six years. And a life quake can be something along the lines of a death of a loved one. It can be a a divorce or the loss of a relationship. It can be you know, where you got fired, something, a major upheaval. We'll have about 30, 30 to 36 life transitions during a lifetime, but three to five of these will knock you to the ground hmm. where you have to really pick yourself up and it's a process. So I started saying, well, what if I could speed that process up, even though, you know, a lot of people say you can't speed up that time. We know that we can, if, if somebody really wants to, they can move along through it pretty quickly. So I developed, I took this touchstone model that I had been working on and said, what if I could help people really see the core of where their pain came from and take this nonlinear life experience that is like this big ball of yarn and straighten it out and make it linear just so that they could see where they're at on this process. Because as soon as they're not with you, right, it's like a a rubber band. You can pull a rubber band if it's twisted and it'll go straight. But then when you let go of it, you know how it balls back up again. That's the Mm -hmm. way I think life is. Mm -hmm. It's just, you know, everybody's under so much stress. So what if we could pull it apart, they could see it. And then when they were not with us, you know, as a practitioner, which is most of the time, right? They can't follow us around to help them, you know, to help point that out, that they could see it themselves. So it's like giving people these touchstones that they could come back to and go, oh, I'm doing that behavior. Oh, I'm in that part of my pain. Oh, my, you know, this is what I'm doing in relationship and this is why, so they could stop, look and listen and really, and really catch themselves in the moment and be more mindful. Yeah. Wow. That's really, that cool. was what the whole, yeah. I love, I love that idea of the, of the mind, of the life quake. Cause that's so true. My goodness heavens. It's um, those things happen. You know, it's not well, a question of if, <laughs> you know, it's kind of- yeah, it's when, I mean, I, you know, over the, over, during my fifties, uh, I stopped teaching the journey, right? I took a break from that. So that was like 10 years of my life and doing, oh my God, we were doing about a hundred workshops a year that I was either doing or producing. Wow. I went through a divorce. Uh, I had an illness where I picked up a bug on that trip to India and I had this chronic cough and this inflammation response that I was working on, but there was something deeper that wasn't quite letting me get to the core of what it was. And it took a while for me to really untangle that to get to it. Um, I had a, um, another business that I, I had raised money on and I had a partner that had uh, four strokes and went blind, uh, partially blind. And um, yeah. And I mean, it was devastating. And um, yeah, it was, a, it was a rough decade for me. And so all of these tools developed out of how can I help myself mm-hmm. and how can I take some of the people that I've trained up or a few other practitioners that I trust, love and respect and have them help me through my own life quakes. So this came from, this isn't a concept that this came from a need of experience right. for myself. Got it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. And so um, and I found this helping me pull myself out in this understanding. So uh, if I can just go, if you'd be interested and you think the folks would be interested, I can kind of talk through this concept of this touchstone program. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. So um, do just going back to, is this, is the Enneagram yeah. that you're talking about, is, is the Enneagram part of this process or is that? It's, 
And so what I've done is I've kind of identified a series of skills that I think for, for anyone life, life-wise that the Enneagram should be part of their, their training for just okay. for life skills. So you think so, it's an essential coaching skill as an example? I think it's an, absolutely, I think it's an essential coaching skill. And I use it with every single one of my clients and because it, it just helps me hone in on what their core fixation is and uh-huh. what their biggest pain point is. And so I'll explain it to them and then help them through it to get to the root core. So when that pain point starts to show up and they're responding, they understand why they're responding. They don't have to take it personally. Their ego doesn't fight it. So, and they're able to stop looking. So, so it would be useful for a person to have this, but it's not necessarily a, like a prerequisite for learning to do the life quake touchstone process. Is it a prerequisite? That's a really good question. You know, I, I, Doug, I fold the Enneagram into everything. So okay. it's not a prerequisite to learning. It's a part of it. Like when we, I had a leadership program that was a big part of the leadership program that we did. Um, it's a big part of the journey. It's, it's now become a big part of every, everything that I do. And every client, I, I highly recommend people uh, diving into it. And a lot of the information, there's a lot of people out there that I don't think are necessarily teaching it. They're teaching it as just behavior, right? It's something deeper. Yeah, so it's behavior, it's personality typing, but I've also looked in it a little deeper so that it's, um, I was taught that it was kind of a, these are ego fixations, you know, these different things, and that the uh, ability to, um, I love this way of phrasing it, to to end the trance of these ego fixations, other, to end the trance, meaning to transcend this trans-end. transcend it, yeah, and so that you can get beyond it and move to the next level from that. So that's the way I I learned about the Enneagram. And which is very true. And for me, one of the things that I realized is that, you know, there's no good and bad uh, Enneagram point. If, you know, wherever you fall, you fall, you come into life facing one of nine directions. And what, what had happened for me was the reason I found it so powerful is I realized everybody's in their own little private hell trying to get by. Right. Right. Exactly. Right. They, they, you know, we're all kind of locked into like you're talking about in that trance of thinking that your ego is better than somebody else's ego and how you're responding is special and unique. It's not. Hmm. And, and so for me, it was like, Oh, my dad did those things to me when I was a kid. He didn't realize it. It wasn't personal. The way that my mom responded to me wasn't personal. The way that that first girlfriend, when she, when I got dumped, of course, that's that was part of her fixation, not personal. Right. The reason, you know, uh, not personal. It really comes down to that is they it's like you can't help it. Mm. Mm. And so there's something really freeing about that. I'm not saying it puts lets people off the hook for their lack of. Right. Compassion and kindness. And, yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's a total responsibility, but where does that fall? So, so I started trying to unwind this concept. So let I me, came let just, up. Let me just stop yeah. you one more second. If a yeah. person wanted to learn the Enneagram, if there was a particular book or whatever, is there a place? Anything from Riso and Hudson, R I S O H U D S O N. There's probably 150 books on the Enneagram right? and Helen Palmer, her books are good. I find, uh, but Risa and Hudson, I, I, there's a book called the, I think it's called the complete wisdom of the Enneagram or the wisdom of the Enneagram. It's a blue workbook. It's, it's older. It's probably 15 years old, 12 or 15 years old. I still use that as, as the core, because there's a lot of people who are writing all these different books. Right. Um, Eli Jackson Bear has a real that's, spiritual that's book on. That's the one that I read is the Eli Jackson Bear book. And his is great. He comes about it from a very spiritual standpoint. So yeah. I, I really resonate with what he shares in his book too. I probably read, you know, 40 or 50 books. And I find that the early ones were more true to the model. Hmm. And now it's become this, oh, what Starbucks drink would you get if you were an Enneagram type four? I'm like, what? Anyway. Yeah, that's very important, though. That's, that's a <laughs> well, good application. <laughs> if you were a four on the Enneagram, it would be important. 
Yeah, that would be an inside joke for somebody that knows the Enneagram. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so the, it's a big part of what I do, but it's not. Um, I just think it's a, a, an essential coaching skill. And All maybe right. There's a like fourth those. episode. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, all right. So if I can, do you want me to go ahead and start to? No, I would, yes, please do. I want to hear all about this. So right. you're, you're, people at home will not be able to see this, but you are going to be sharing your screen in a moment and showing me a, yeah. uh, a bit of a PowerPoint presentation, but you're going to talk it, talk through it as if you were talking to a, you know somebody who can't see the PowerPoint. So. Yeah, obviously you can't see it. But, um, you know, in the journey, one of the things that we talked about is when we come into life, we come in as this, you know, when we're born, we're this shining diamond with all these different facets. Um, And through life's trials and tribulations, stuff happens. And instead of learning how to keep our diamond clean, we, we start to cover it up with more and more of the brown stuff that happens in life. And then we form it into something that looks like a diamond, but it's not. It's got this hardened veneer, which we would call ego to it. And so part of the work that I feel like I've always done is to help people crack that, that hardened veneer, that outer ego shell to open up, to get back to the root core of who they were at their very essence. So this model that I've created, I just so, so the listeners can really get a better idea of it and kind of have a, a, a mental image as I'm going through this, is built around Roman numerals. So you've got the Roman numeral one. And if you think about it, it looks like the letter I. The Roman numeral two is two I's as ones, then three, right? You've got four, that's the I and the V for the five. So I'll, I'll, I'll try to help you visualize this because the, the model uh, as part of the understanding is built around the visualization of those letters um, or the, should I say the number. So, so I went back to the beginning. I tried to unwind this and make this this linear process. So the, the Roman numeral one, if you look at it, the eye really is about, it happens through this stage of life through when you're in the womb uh, through about age 12, when your brain waves, you're, you go from delta, theta, alpha, you go into, into beta waves, right, at, at the end of age 12, approximately. And so this first stage is the formation of the identity. Everything that you've done, you know, you experienced is all imprinted on you during that time. So the id, the ego, the identity is formed. Stage two in life, which is the Roman numeral two, which is the two eyes is the ego has been formed, which is the first series of identities. And that's about 13 to around 25. And I, I, I share that it's around 25 because I was, I've been doing a lot of reading recently that says that your brain, way, your brain is still forming through the age of 25. Hmm. Um, and also that they're now saying these neuroscientists over in, in um, England are now saying that you're an adolescence through age 25. It's because of the brain formation and they've got all this now, this new neuro um, brain data that shows the, it's still forming, right? So you're still not making your best decisions necessarily until after around age 25. And again, these are approximations, but so that, that phase is your identity is now turned into ego. And during that second set between age 13 and 25, the next I is how do I connect with other people's, you know, ego? So how I'm, I'm going around, I've got these identities, the identities are bumping into each other, which is where I think that understanding, if, if we talk kids uh, about NLP and VAK, and really to understand how to, how to find rapport with other people, there would be a lot of these painful experiences that we had growing up with the awkwardness of that, that we might be, I'm not saying we're fully bypass it, but we could certainly help. So then you go through this period, and I'm going to call it stage three, which is around, for some people, it's when they graduate from college, around that time. If they don't, they're out in the world. And what I find is you have these three stages. The, so the stage three, I, 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 right? Or one, one, one. The first one is 
you find a career or you find a job, something that you can do that, uh, that holds your time, then once you've kind of settled into that, you find a partner or a loved one that you can spend some of your time with. And again, these are generalizations. And then eventually with that partner, some people choose to become parents and have children. So it's one, two, three. So your primary focus is your career. And then your primary focus, uh, you know, of the second of those of that um, Roman numeral three is with your partner. And that becomes your primary relationship. Or if you become a parent, kind of shifts anybody that's a parent knows that they have to spend a ton of time and energy and their children take precedent almost over everything else if there was an emergency. So this is the development. These real first three phases of development can happen over a long period of time until what happens? Somebody gets into, at some point, they have what I would refer to as a life quake. So if we look at Roman numeral four, it's the one, right? The I, which is this crisis. And the V for five as the Roman numeral is almost like this cup, this chalice. It's the golden chalice, right? It's the, it's this connection with our source, with God, with truth, with the universe, whatever you want to call it. But there's this great big wall in the formation of that I that's right before the V on the number four. And if your listeners, you know, if if you've got a pen, you could even draw that out and kind of get a better idea of what this looks like. But I think a lot of people get stuck there and they think, well, this is just life. And I'm supposed to focus on my career being a partner and parent, if that's what it is. And they have this light quake and they don't move forward because they don't either have the skills or it doesn't, it doesn't catapult them forward or they don't have that motivation. And so they end up spending a good portion of their life stuck at level four. And some of us though, recognize there's something on the other side. Don't know what that is yet, but I know that there's something else over there. And so if you go to level five, you think about it as that cup, right? That V that we're looking to fill up our cup. What is that? That's a connection, source, creator, God, nature, spirit, love, soul, whatever that might be. And I look at it as, you know, in religion, so many different religious aspects show the golden chalice. And that represents the filling up with cup with spirit, Once you connect with spirit, things start to shift and change. But the problem is, or the the reality of the moment is, that life quake crisis and all of that formation that is kind of in that, that, that one before the V, before you got connected, once you're connected and you've had that experience and through the journey, we were helping people really connect with their essence and connect with that deepest part of them through dropping through those levels of motion that we talked about in the Mm -hmm. previous episode. But now that identity is now just on the other side of the connection. So all that shit that was there on the other side is now, okay, I'm connected, but now what? Now I have to go back and unwind and figure out who the hell I am and what my identity is and my connection to self. So that's where I think, um, I, I, I'm, let me make this a little bit bigger, Doug, so you can see that a little see bit. Me squinting at the screen here, yeah, yeah, I can see you squinting at the screen. <laughs> so, um, so this is the the identity and the connection to self. Now, this is where I think that the Enneagram plays a big part in really fully understanding who you are and what you're about, and um, and being able to see it's not personal. We're in our own little private hell trying to get by, but it gives us a um, it, it's almost like a template for behavior that I find that I can help clients really see it's a shortcut. Okay. And yeah, that's why I use it. Now, if we look at level seven, it's the V with the two eyes. And just like level two, which was the formation of the ego and then how to connect with others. I think level seven is okay. I'm connected. And now I've got this ego and now I'm trying to figure out how do I really connect with others at their core and from, but from a place of a deeper level of connection. Okay. 
Now, if here's where it starts to shift. Once we've gone through five, which is connection with spirit, six, which is connection with spirit and connection, understanding the self, seven, which is the V and connecting with others. Then we go into this level eight. And I looked at level eight and I said, well, what if I turn that kind of on its side? Didn't look at it as a Roman numeral, but looked at it as the letter, the number eight, which then turned on its side as the infinite, the, the sign or infinity, right? So really our life practice becomes about how do I just rest in the infinite and let life happen in the flow? And that becomes my practice hmm. is all of everything that's there, right? This level eight in life is about saying what's, and what do we practice? What? And I did, I kind of identified the understanding of these unconscious programs that got set up in one, two, three, and four, right? Understand the Enneagram, which is really a behavior and a core ego fixation. How do I communicate better through connection, mindfulness, emotional intelligence? How do I work on my relationships? I think attachment theory, I learned so much about my own pain and I wish I'd, I had learned that earlier in life. I mm. probably would still be married if I understood a little bit better at the time. And I, I kind of jumped over it. Um, how to really, we spend so much more of our, our, our waking time at work than we do at home. How do we fulfill ourselves at work through self-awareness? Because self, um, self-esteem, I'm just reading a book uh, recently is talking about, it, it was, it had one statement that I just went, ah, that's really true, which is most people suffer from a low self-esteem like 98% of people, 95 to 98%. And he said, you can't build up self-esteem. It's kind of a misnomer. What we're really doing is building self-awareness. And as soon as I heard that, I was like, God, that's really true. Hmm. It's more about self-awareness than it is about building up this ego that you can confront things. It's about being in self-awareness to go, oh, look who I am. Look how I'm being. Look what's showing up. What do I need to do? What's the reality of the moment, right? Yeah. So that's an acceptance then, isn't it? Yeah. It's self-awareness, self-acceptance, right? Of, of what is, right? Yeah. And I think that the self-acceptance is the first step. And then self-awareness is the next step up because the awareness that you have through the acceptance of, well, this is what it is. Mm-hmm. And then what am I going to do about it? And the awareness of saying, how are others responding how am I, you know, rather than just going forward like a narcissist and then, you know, bowling people over because there are certain Enneagram points, that's their modus operandi. That's okay. how they do it. So, let, me, let me just stop you. I want to ask you a question. Yeah. Sure, um, sure, sure. So I, I get this. I get what you're saying so far. And it's, it's funny how you went to the Roman, what left the Roman numerals to get to the, you know, the to the eight, oh, yeah, right. to the infinity sign, yeah. You're a cheater there, I can tell. You couldn't, you couldn't think of what to do with the three eyes after the five. So that's okay. I, that's okay. <laughs> I like the idea of flow. To me, the idea of of, of pursuing happiness is kind of a, a, a misnomer. I don't know if that's the right word, misnomer, but but to me, finding flow is really where it's at in life. That you know, it's it's not happy like oh boy. I'm doing this now, but it's just like you're you're engaged, you're you're focused, you're fulfilled by this this flow that you're in, this practice that you're in. So I can really see where this is. I, I get I, I I resonate with what you're saying here. This is beautiful. Um, my question is, what if somebody doesn't make it through uh, that life quake? You know that that four. Um, yeah. And that happens for a vet. I think a, a big majority of people, they don't because they don't, they don't know what's going on. They don't have this, this bigger picture. So what happens is they stay stuck at level four. They don't connect to spirit or they kind of do, but they don't know how to do it on a regular basis. So they don't either, they don't do the self-awareness work. They don't maybe meditate and stay connected. They don't have some kind of spiritual practice that works for them. And I'm not here so to, is is know, that where you would start working with somebody? Is that if they're if they're stuck at level four? I mean, where how does this work as a sort of um, template for coaching? You know, how do you? Okay. So 
let me, I'm going to, I'm going to go forward a second, then I'll back back up. So what I find is people, they get stuck at level four and they spend their, their thirties, their forties, fifties, sixties, seventies. And then all of a sudden they start facing their mortality Mm. and they start looking and they don't go through five, six, seven, and eight. They jump to level nine. So visualize for a second level nine, which is this big X, which is the 10 which is the I in front of it. So now their identity, uh, their ego is right in front of this X marks the spot of their mortality. Being X'd out is the mortality. X'd out. Yeah. So um, Doug, I'm going to, I'll, I'll do this for you real quick. Hang on one second so that you can see this and then we can, you know, I can share, I'm going to, uh, um, I've got this. So the people at home while I'm doing this, I have this really intense slide. It's got about 150 um animations uh, animations on it so i'm going to jump forward so i can kind of show this so so when they go to level nine they start to face their mortality and it scares the crap out of people now in our society we don't talk about death right death is inevitable it is part of the experience we need to learn i don't think personally i and this comes through some of my spiritual practices and i've been I've, I've studied all kinds of things. I think until you learn how to face death and recognize, hey, my time is running out every day. And I'm not trying to be morbid about it, but every day is one day closer to a day that you're not going to be here. So what are you going to do today? What's, that's, that's what's a the focus? Thing. And you, you mentioned Carlos Castaneda earlier. One of my yeah. is back in the 20s was Carlos Castaneda and the teachings of Don Juan and stuff. And, and he said that to be a warrior... You need to f- have death as your ally. Death is uh, your ally. And absolutely. Yeah. And that was, it's all. Awesome. We don't talk about it. We don't, uh, it's been a big part of and, and it's, it's, people have thought that I'm morbid. People have thought that I'm like, what are you talking about death for? You know, but it's, yeah, I've been doing this since my, my dad died on my 21st birthday. That might have been an influence. <laughs> that might have might have been and an mine died on my i was 23 died in a plane crash and it made me stop and think what am i doing i'm yeah. in the arts what difference does this make where's what, yeah. what am i going to leave why am i here and it really forced me at a really young age yeah and that's how i got into nlp right i mean i was already in it um but uh, right. I got into it very soon, but my dad died not too long after I started learning about it. Wow. So thank God I had some of that in my early days to be able to then say, okay, well, how, how do I want to take this out into my life? So I, my mother who had been a nurse and a therapist, when she passed away about a year and a half ago, and my, I had these incredible, my mom was an amazing woman. She was a Tibetan Buddhist and I got a lot of she and I would talk about this all the time. Well, my mother, when she passed away, had over 200 books that she had collected in her library on death and dying. Wow. And she was, she had passed hundreds of people in a nursing home when she was in her twenties and she was fascinated with death. So we had these, and as she was facing her mortality, I have to just tell this quick story okay? because I think this is really important around mortality and facing it as far as our own personal growth is concerned. But when she, she was 84, um, she had an aneurysm. She knew that it couldn't be fixed. And at some point she could die at any moment. And she was pissed off and she spent all these years for 40, 50 years as a Tibetan Buddhist. I was like, mom, aren't you going to fall back on your practice? You know, the Tibetan book of living and dying. She had like five copies and I had read it multiple times. I'm not, a, I'm not, yeah, Buddhist, but yeah. And it's amazing book of, of really under, looking at it. And, and she was like, you, you, when you get to be my age and you start to face your mortality, you'll be fucking pissed off too. And I was like, mom, <laughs> you know, and you know, it was really interesting, but here's the thing, uh, uh, Doug, if we look at this X, mm-hmm. X marks a spot, right? That's a mortality. People start to face it. They they're in fear of it. But if we look at it in the big picture, what is the X? If we take the X, it's just fear, right? And what's it a fear of? It's a fear of death. And it's a fear that our time is running out. And so if you take the X and you place the hourglass concept over it Mm. and our, you know, things are running out, it, it turns into this bigger image 
of the X. So our time is running out. So what do we do with the time, right? If we just take away this concept of this fear and we remove the fear and we stand in the middle of it, then we can actually take some action and we can take it from a place of consciousness, right? Towards being present. We can consciously accept our mortality and then we can live in that flow, in that infinite from this enhanced place of of growth interaction with ourselves and others. So then if we look at the X, which is 10, and now the I for, uh, for, for number 11 is on the other side of facing this big milestone of accepting the fact of our mortality. So the I, which is at one, it's at six. Now was at 11 and we're going to learn how to be in the flow and move beyond that. And the 12 is the X in the two eyes. How do we do that with others, right? Once we accept our mortality and then how we integrate it in all aspects of our life and be in the flow. Because that's level 13. Now level 14, because all of this is interconnected, comes when we actually are facing our mortality. And we've got the X for 10, the 1 and the V for number Roman numeral 14. Mm-hmm. So you've got the X, which is the concept of death that we've moved beyond the, uh, the one, which is the I, the identity and the, the V for 14 really is about learning how to know that our time is running out and that we're connected to our source. Mm-hmm. So instead of getting stuck again, like at level four at level 14, we're staying connected. And so that's a given And then the consciousness comes when we can actually remember that we're spirit, we're energy. There's nothing to fear. We don't know what's on the other side because when we, we all cross over, nobody really knows what's over there. If there is anything I, you know, I'm, I'd like to think I know, but if we spend our life not connected, then what's there, but see most people, they get stuck at level four. They go, what the hell am I doing? I have no idea. I stay stuck there. And then they stay in confusion. They miss their opportunity for growth through all of this awareness. And they just slide down. Again, they face nine, right? They go into their 70s, their 80s. They face death. This big fear is there. And they don't have connection. So if they, if they don't have any of this connection, They miss all of this learning and all they're doing is facing feeling lost and uncertain. They have a certain level of pain and suffering that they develop their own skills on how to deal with it. That can be alcohol addiction, um, you know, all, all kinds of just activity because their, the fear is there that they don't want to feel. So this is what we do with the journey is we help people feel their emotions, own it, be emotionally intelligent about it and, and heal the old pain, pain triggers, hmm. right? That's what we're doing with all the work and all these different modalities. So if we take that away, the pain, suffering, the fear, the feeling of loss and uncertainty, right? Then what we can do is we can get back to the idea that we are this shining diamond. And how do I connect with that part of myself, that is perfect because it's all there for each one of us. So for me, this whole practice is about coming back to the floor. (laughs) You had a lot of of fun with this slide, man. This, this, uh, the animations you've been doing is pretty impressive. (laughs) I spent a lot of time and energy on that, trying to visualize it for myself to come up with these ideas of, you know, and all of this kind of, it all just kind of unfolded and it would just be there. It would be, Oh, Wow. This really falls right into line originally, which is 10. And then it, it, it turned into, you know, 16. So life happens to all of us. But when we can get real and heal um, the, the pain from the past and unwind this, then we can look forward to it. Because I always tell people, if you don't know where you're going, you don't, if you don't know where you're going, every road will get you there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so part of this is about saying what what's my, what's my path? How, how do I want to look at things? So 
again, when you ask me, is the Enneagram an integral part of it? Yes, it is, but you don't, it's a lifetime study. I mean, I learn, I still read books on the Enneagram when a new Enneagram book comes out. I, I, I try, you know, anytime I can pick up a little skill here or there to help mm-hmm. a client. And I figure if, if I'm being drawn to it, it's something that I need to see for myself and for others, right? Have, have you read the uh, book by Annie Linden about NLP and the Enneagram? No, I have not. I don't. I don't know of that one. Oh, okay. oh, I have to read that. Annie Linden ran the New York Center, or whatever it was called, um, for NLP back in the eighties, and um, I took some courses from her. But she wrote a book about NLP and, and the Enneagram, which was which was good. It's good. Awesome. Yeah, the, the Eli Jackson yeah. spoke to me more than it did, but it was you know it was it was very good. Was, yeah, I did. A, I did a, a live course we like god probably back in the late 80s cool. uh when he's just teaching it and i did a weekend with him and got a lot out of it that was a, a big introduction that was my introduction to it was to Eli. okay cool nice was that yeah. in colorado yeah that was in california i think on a trip to california i saw that he was teaching something. I, I can't, I'm trying to remember. I can't remember. God, that was you know, it's interesting that speaking of about death for a moment, the, um, the stoicism has really come back. It's, it's, it's hot right now. It's trending. Yeah. Stoicism, which is yeah. interesting because it's been around for what, 2000, 3000 years or something. Yeah. But, um, one of the things that they have is, uh, I think it's called a memento mori calendar. Uh, yes. It's it's basically um, it represents your whole life, you know, the approximation of at least you know maybe it's got eighty years on, a, on this chart. Maybe there's I don't know, maybe there's hundred. I don't know, but um, but you each circle on this chart represents a month, and so one line of circles is a year, and so you just go in and you you fill in, fill in these circles for every year that you've lived, and it you know pretty well shows you that half this chart is filled up by now and or more than half of the chart is filled depending on where you are in this thing so it leads of course to death and um you know it's important to live your life as if you know what this is an important day is you know you won't get this one again this is something you want to use and take advantage of and, and enjoy every moment one of the things that i also think about however sometimes is that there's a quote by the woman that started the shakers um mother ann lee i think her name was and uh i had it on my bulletin board for years i don't actually know where it is right now but it was a little little slip of paper i bought from at the shaker museum in lennox or something but basically what she's saying in this thing is to she says do your work live every day as if you knew that you're going to die tomorrow yeah and at the same time, as if you knew you're going to live for a thousand years. Ooh. I like that kind of. That addition to that. Yeah, it really brings it, um, I want to say, not into the positive, it brings it in a different realm of, of you know, because we are on some level, right? The energy of whatever well, that I, is. What I like to think of is, you know, it's, if, I, if I was going to die tomorrow, then I wouldn't work. I wouldn't, you know, do a podcast. What, what the hell? Right. <laughs> I'm going right. to go out and get drunk or, you know, just go to, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to party, you know, I'm going to just do something. I'm going to die tomorrow. Why not? You know, that's do everything that we're not supposed to do, you know, let's go have banana split for lunch, you know, whatever, you know, it's just, I, if I was going to die tomorrow, why not? But yeah. if I'm going to also live for a thousand years, then I'm going to, you know, make a really good podcast here. And mm-hmm. This is something that I can, you know, give to other people and, and spread the, this awareness and knowledge to the humanity. I want to do this. We're going to be around for a while. I'm going to I'm going to make this chair. If I'm if I'm a carpenter, I'm going to make this chair really really well. You know, Shaker Furniture is great furniture because they lived like this. They made right. this stuff to last. You know, they didn't just say, "Let's knock out a chair; it'll be okay." No, they made it right. They made right. it perfect. Right? Shaker boxes are a gorgeous piece of you know. Right. Right. So 
I like that idea of living, you know, fully engaged in the moment. Like, wow, I, this is beautiful. I love this moment. Talking to my friend Skip, you know, having this, you know, living in this beautiful place. Um, it's yeah. great being here, right here, right now, and living for a thousand years is a, is a cool, you know, both and situation. Well, it, it really makes you think about the big picture for not just ourselves, but for future generations, and and. You know, it's funny that you're saying that about, I, I love that quote. And there's a quote that I've had up on my mantle for 30 years. And it was a little thing that I found somewhere. And it was a quote from Buddha. And it just says, his dying words, do your best. And I've gone back and read to see if that was really true. And basically what he said, that's the, you know, if it was just boiled down to it, that's what he said on his deathbed was telling people to do their best. And there's something about that that is just so simple. Hmm. And I pass this on to my kids, right? I have three children. And I, and I, when something happens, I go, and they're upset about it. I go, did you do your best? Did you do your best work? Did you felt that you were doing your best? If you did, then that's perfect. Because that's all you can do. Because we're not going to know there's no perfection. You know, it's like we've heard practice makes perfect. And I read somewhere that it's like, no, practice doesn't make perfect. Perfect practice makes perfect. Mm -hmm. And so you strive for that. But as long as you're doing your best, then you're doing your best work. And that's what I try to get across to my clients is do this so that you have a foundation of understanding and a foundation of not being triggered. And you can unwind this, this very complex thing. It is you, it's us, right? And we try to do our best. So if, you, if you've made a mistake, in hindsight, it's easy to see that. But in the moment, we're being triggered and we're, we're falling outside of what, you know, the, it's, you know, you can look back on it and say, hey, that was a messy situation. Yeah. Okay. Do your best. So let me ask you, the um this life quake model this this thing that you showed us today um is this uh, just a way of thinking about the process or is there a actual process like the journey process that you you know specifically do with people these days or or how does this right so those forgiveness skills that we talked about in a previous episode i use that so i think it's about resolving so i go back in the model that I use, I do uh, three sessions with the client and I also spend about an hour to explain this model to them, talk them through so they can see where they're at on this linear progression. Okay. Then, then we go back in and we dig in and say, okay, what's, what are your major pain points from your childhood? So we go back in and do journey style work. And I throw the kitchen sink at people because I'm doing belief changes, vow changes, uh, doing the for deep forgiveness work, doing the connection work where we're getting people to connect with their spirit. So then they, then they have afterwards, I give them some homework. If, you know, through guided meditations that I've created that I give to them, they can do until our next session. Then the second session builds on going back in because oftentimes, you know, inevitably, if they've got a real big life quake situation, there's something that they need to look at right then. But we really need to clear stuff from our childhood, our mothers and fathers and grandparents and things that happened to us as a kid. We'll clear a lot of that. And then I take them into the third one to get them back to their center if they've had these big, really deep life quakes. And maybe it's forgiveness with somebody that's passed, forgiveness with self. And then they're they're getting back and I'm doing uh, some other work to get them to, to be able to lift them up to where they can see a compelling future. And then they can move forward from there. So I find that when people have had a major life quake within three or four weeks and get them back on track. So it doesn't have to take three to five years. It could take three to five sessions max Mm -hmm. and they get them back, you know, to the point where they're on a positive way of looking at their life again and they can see some compelling future. So just going back to your mother for a moment, do you think that she just, um, you said she was so pissed off about yeah. the mortality thing. Um, knowing what you know now, 
could you have done a, a like a life quake session with her and gotten to her to a place where she wasn't so pissed off? Well, I I was doing this type of work uh, then because my mom just passed away about a year. Or a couple years ago. Yeah. Yeah. And and it happened during COVID, right when COVID started. She didn't die from COVID, but because of COVID, because they wouldn't admit her to the hospital. Oh, my God. Really? They refused to admit her to the hospital. And they basically took her to the emergency room, pushed her home, and she died at home. Hmm. So... I was with her in January before COVID started. She tried to have an operation to fix this aneurysm and they couldn't do it. And so she and I had these long, long talks. And this is where this came out of when she said, I'm angry. I said, mom, what's going on? So I remember the night before I left, I'd been with her for like three weeks um, because she had had a surgery that wasn't successful. Mm -hmm. And I just laid next to her and I, you know, kissed her and, and laid there and said, you know, I know that you can pass at any moment. And I want you to know that I'm going to get emotional just thinking about it, how much, you know, I've, uh, how much you've meant to me and that you've been the, the best mother that I could ever ask for and best friend. She and I had become very close friends and a mentor and a guide. And she was always there for me. So I, I literally, before I left, said, if I don't see you in body again, we only talk on the phone and something should happen. I want you to know how I really feel. So we, you know, I, I'm, because my dad died like yours, I talked to him the night before he's gone the next day. Mm. We know we can lose somebody. I tell everybody I know how much I love them. But if I don't get to see you again, I, I'm not trying to be morbid, but it can happen. And mm. I want you to know how I feel um which hence i'm in right now i'm in bellingham washington you can see the window as the sun starts to come up right we're doing this really early and i'm here with friend who's been my friend for 43 years he's my partner in the circus uh and so and i just turned 60 so it's a milestone birthday we were talking about that and he uh flew out here we spend milestone birthdays with each other cool so, yeah, so that's funny because I thought that was a wall behind you, but now it's a it's a window. It looks really, really pretty. Awesome. It's a yeah, overlooking the wow. you know it's you. I mean, it's right. gorgeous. Right. Yeah, yeah. Well, anyway. Skip, we'll have to do this again sometime. <laughs> so always four. lots to talk about. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> thank you so much. This is great. This is really great. This is really good. All three episodes have been spectacular and uh, really oh. that you're sharing with us, man. Well, it's been fun to reconnect with you, Doug. And, and, you know, obviously I, I'm passionate about the work that I do and being able to help. And I'm constantly, you know, the older I get, the more I realize I don't know, and I'm trying to figure it out along with everybody else. But, um, you know, to, I, this has sped up the effectiveness of the work that I do with clients immensely is there a, a place where people can see this um video presentation that you just did for me the the, the slides is there a way is there does it exist yeah somewhere? there is if they go to if you go to uh youtube yeah and um look up life dash quake what like not one word life quake but life dash quake yeah. and skip lackey it'll show up on youtube okay and there's about an hour long presentation, which I go into great detail about it. And the beginning of it's talking about what life quakes are. So it's kind of my work. And then there's another one. There's two videos. There's that one, Life Dash Quake and Skip Lackey. And then if you look up the ACE test, Adverse Childhood Experiences, yeah. ACE test, Skip Lackey, there's another 57 minute video where I, I give the ACE test, a wow. resilience test. Uh, the uh, PC uh, uh, positive childhood experience test, which is a new thing that's just come out in the last couple of years for resilience. Wow. Um, and it's built around that. So I, I made those videos, um, it, it, you know, to just be able to give to people and uh, the information. So it's, it's there. Fantastic. I hope people take it and use it. We, we teach ACE in our havening trainings, but I love those mm-hmm. other things as well. Positive childhood experiences. I'm going to look for that. Thank you so much. I, 
I found, I found a resilience test online because I was like, I score, um, I score four to four and a half on the ACE test. Oh. And I've had, I had this, this, uh, that came, yeah. well, yeah. And I've worked with clients that score 10 out of 10. And oh, I know. Out of 10. I know. Yeah. And so what, what is it above a six? It cuts off 20 years off your life, hmm. you know? So, uh, you know, when I scored, uh, um, the score that I did and I was struggling with this lung stuff that this, uh, you know, that I was talking about, I had mm-hmm. this, I went, Oh my God, it's gotta be because of some of the stuff I had happened in my childhood that I'm having to, you know, heal. Mm-hmm. So it really helped me see, Oh, that's what's going on. So I showed this with certain clients that are dealing with long-term health issues. And it, I find that they relax and go, Oh, that's why now I can work on it. Cool. Nice. Well, thank you. That's, yeah, that's that's exciting. I'm going to YouTube next. Thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. Great. Well, listen, happy birthday and all those things and have a wonderful stay out there in Belling, Bellingham, Bellingham, Bellingham. Yeah. Yeah. Here for a couple of days. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. And safe trip back. Thanks. Thanks. And thanks for doing this, Doug. I appreciate it. And I know I'm sure your listeners are, getting a ton out of everything. Uh, I think, you know, it, you're just giving back to the community in such a big way. Uh, thank you for the work that you do too. It's my, my, my pleasure. Thank you for being here. All right, brother. We'll talk to you soon. Well, that's our show for today. Thank you so much for joining me. If you want any more information about today's show, please visit our website at www.essentialcoachingskills.com. Be sure to tune in again next week for our next episode and discover even more about the systems and the secrets that set the best apart.